Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning. Welcome back to the show. It is July 27th. Uh, happy Monday to everybody. Um, it's, I don't even know if there's a point in doing a, a COVID update where you're, we're stuck in the middle of it. It doesn't feel like anything's really changed. Uh, numbers are up in many different states, and here we are. Pretty much things shutting back down again. And for those of you who have kids, you know that school... Um, well, I guess I shouldn't say that. We're in California, and uh, most of the schools in California have decided that they're not doing in-person school in the fall. It's going to start as a fully online um, online learning situation, uh, at least until we come off the watch list for states that have high levels of COVID occurrences. Um, and so that's our, that impacts our son. Our daughters um, are both in college, uh, one here in California and one in New York, and both of those schools have decided that they're not going to start physical in-person classes, um, at least for the first uh, the first semester. So, so we're looking at having a full family here, at least until January of this year of next year. So, pretty crazy, but. It is what it is. It's it's the situation we find ourselves in thanks to COVID. So let's move into the minute of transparency. Um, this week, I don't know if it was this week or last week. Uh, I think it started when we were we were on a, a short little getaway with our friends, and uh, the whole concept of the enneagram came up. Uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, the enneagram is a it's kind of like a personality test, although it's a little different than the, the typical ones you take. Um, and so we were talking about that. I'll put a link to it in the show notes just so that you can go check it out if you're interested. But we were talking about the test and, and the different numbers and, and what each of us kind of was like based on our number. And for those of you, again, who don't know, uh, there's the, there are these things called core motivations that are part of uh, each number. And so each, each number has a core desire, a core fear, a core weakness, and a core longing. And so I'll just, I'll just read you mine just so you get an understanding kind of, of what that is. So I'm a type one, which is called the moral perfectionist. Uh, the core desire is having integrity, being good, balanced, accurate, virtuous, and right. Uh, the core fear is being wrong, bad, evil, inappropriate, unredeemable, or corruptible. The core weakness is resentment, repressing anger that leads to continual frustration and dissatisfaction with yourself, others, and the world for not being perfect. The core longing is to hear that you are good. So again, we were talking through these different um, these different numbers and what they meant and how it, you know, whether it was right or wrong, kind of based on having lived life together and, and done life together for quite a while. 
and, and it was funny because, you know, you kind of, when you hear a person read their number and all of the different pieces that go along with it, most of the time it's like, oh my goodness, that is exactly you, right? That is so crazy. How do they, how can they tell that about you? Um, and so that's, that's really where this whole uh, minute of transparency started was me thinking about being a one and kind of how that plays out in my life, what that means. And really what, what it comes down to as a one is you, you struggle with perfectionism, right? You really want, you want things to line up correctly. You want the world to work out, to be planned, um, for things to be good and things to be thought through and thought out well ahead of time so that things work out and you don't have problems. You don't have mistakes. Um, you're basically always working toward a level of comfort, um, you know, I guess that's kind of the end goal is comfort because people have done the right thing and they've planned and it's just good. So the the way the whole thing came to a to a head this week is um, I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but we we recently purchased a new vehicle. We purchased a Jeep Wrangler and uh, joined the Jeep family back in June at some point, um, and we bought it. We, we live in California. We bought it in Michigan. Um, after our trip with our friends, my son and I flew to Michigan, picked up the Jeep, and we drove it across the country uh, back to California. And for those of you who live in California, you know that when you bring a vehicle into the state, uh, you have to obviously get it registered and get license plates. But in order to do that, you have to get a smog check. Well, the Jeep, for some crazy reason, had a light uh, that came on. It's a it's a light that there's two lights actually. One it says it's an actual word. It says gas cap. Uh, right where the odometer is, it'll it'll say gas cap instead of the odometer. So that started coming on every time we filled up with gas, and you and you could like clear it, um, but it it was kind of a persistent thing. Then at some point the check engine light came on, um, undoubtedly tied to the fact that it thought the gas cap had a problem. So we took it in, um, you know, to the guy to have it smog checked and assumed that he could fix the problem and then smog it and then we'd be good to go. Well, he couldn't figure it out. So we ended up having to take it to the Jeep dealership. Long story short, it's been in and out of the Jeep dealership three times. Um, and the last time they had it for a good two and a half, three days. And I started to realize that there was this tension inside of me during those days when the when the Jeep was over at the dealership getting fixed, there was just this tension. And I was irritable and I was frustrated. And, and when I really thought about it, it came back to the fact that I'm a one on the Enneagram test. Um, that I have this level of perfectionism that when something is slightly off and it and it's not something that you can fix, and the people that are supposed to be able to fix it don't seem to be able to fix it. There's just this level of tension that goes on in your life. And I know, I mean, dealing with a car, being in the shop, that's that's pretty lame, right? That's, that's a first world problem. Um, but I think back to when we had our children and one of our, one of our kids uh, was born with some some lung issues, some breathing issues. And um, so we had to leave him um, at the hospital after we had already been there for a couple of days, you know, for the, for the birth, uh, we had to leave him in the, the neonatal care unit 
uh, for another couple days. And I remember that same feeling, obviously much stronger then. Um, you know, it's just not right. Like you, you have a baby, you're supposed to take him home with you. So the fact that my wife and I drove home and were home without the child that we just had uh, for a couple days and, you know, not really knowing what the outcome would be. That's again, that's the, the scary part, right? Is just not fully knowing like what's going on and why can't we just figure this out? Um, but it's, it was just very interesting to me when I, when I looked at those two situations, you know, it kind of came back to my personality and having that need for things to be perfect, the need for things to be right, and the need to, if there is a problem that arises, the need to be able to figure it out very quickly and put an end to the problem. So anyway, just a small window into the craziness that is my soul and the craziness of being a one on the Enneagram. So like I said, I'll put the link to the Enneagram stuff uh, in the show notes so you can have that if you want. I would highly recommend it. It is very cool to kind of read through that information and, and just kind of learn more about yourself. And then just to plug a future episode on the podcast, um, at some point um, I had I had written out a whole outline for an episode on personality tests or personality inventories. Um, you know, my thought was to call it transcending personality or something, something unique like that. Um, but then just to walk through maybe four or five of the different uh, personality inventories that I've been through in my life and, and just talk about the different types of personalities and, and how we can really learn more about ourselves and then how that can help us to transcend human in the future. So that will come at some point. All right. Well, let's move into our content for this week. Uh, basically, last week we talked about character and, and the impact it can have on others for good or for bad. Uh, today, we're going to jump into the end of the story, believe it or not, and learn that things won't be like this forever. Uh, the human condition won't always be the way it is today. It won't always force us to be stuck between two opposing superpowers, living in between God and Satan. Uh, and that battle that's going on between them. And then we certainly won't have to deal forever with human nature, human suffering, or human disturbance. So this is really good news. Um, today's basic assumption is the controversy will end. And we're going to look at three different sections. We're going to talk about two ways to live, uh, will it really end, and our response. So number one, two ways to live. Over the past few episodes, obviously, we've discussed how important step one is, right? And we keep referring to it as in either one of three ways. We, we talk about justification, we talk about casting your vote in the eternal election, and we talk about accepting the antidote to the sin virus, but they're all the same thing. And like I said, we hammered away at that uh, for some time now. Uh, we've discussed how sooner is better than later, uh, as you never know what could happen from day to day. Obviously, there is no guarantee that we will even wake up tomorrow. Uh, there's no guarantee that we won't be in a horrible car accident or that we'll, you know, just get into some kind of an accident or, or get a disease or something that will have an impact on our belief that tomorrow is always guaranteed. So because of this, obviously, the recommendation is to uh, live as if it's your last day on earth, right? Or as uh, Tim McGraw put it back in 2004... Uh, live like you are dying. 
I love the whole concept behind these statements, right? It's, it's not suggesting that you go out and do everything, try everything and just be frivolous. It's actually suggesting you do the important things, right? The things that really matter, things that are on your, uh, your important bucket list. When you know your time is short, it makes your choices, your habits, and your, your character just seem that much more important. And the first thing to get right is your relationship with the one who created you, right? So, so cast your vote, accept the antidote, uh, and then keep on living like there's no tomorrow. So when we talk about really living, living like it's your last day on earth or living like you're dying, what, how does that actually play out, right? How, does, how do we do that? Well, for me, I found that it really requires a healthy mix of the following ideas. So there are these terms that we we talk about in the mental health field. There's immediate gratification and there's delayed gratification. And I absolutely love talking about these two concepts because, you know, they're not very flashy. People don't spend a lot of time um, thinking through concepts like this, but you'd be surprised how impactful they are on us on a daily basis. In, In fact, almost every decision you make is related to one or the other, right? You're either choosing to satisfy an immediate need or want, or you're foregoing that need or want in order to get something better in the future. So let's kind of talk through these and and how they impact each of us. So first up, we have immediate gratification. Uh, On a high level, this is really the way a lot of people in the world live today. Stereotypically, people who don't have faith or a set of spiritual beliefs or like an eternal code of conduct type of thing. It's really living for the moment, right? Living for an immediate happiness right here and now. And the desire is really to get as much out of every moment as possible, regardless what the consequences are. So it's a very narrow focus on the here and now, a focus that keeps people from really looking ahead and thinking about their futures. In episode four, I think it was, we talked about this thing called the happiness trap. And and that's really what comes into play here. We're basically chasing happiness for happiness sake. Uh, and it's a trap that many of us fall into. And I love, I love some of the experiments that researchers did back in the day on immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. They, if, if you ever have a chance to go back and, and research that, it's pretty crazy. So many of these experiments involved kids, and they would be offered a choice. So in one experiment, you know, they would offer them a small piece of candy and say, here, you want a piece of candy? Or if you wait um, for an hour, we'll give you the entire bag. Uh, And there are many variations, uh, but they're all basically the same. You know, something like one candy bar now or five in two hours, that sort of thing. And many of the kids, you know, just took the first option because kids are notorious for wanting things here and now. They want what they see, immediate gratification. Next, we have delayed gratification. So this is, again, on a high level, very stereotypical, right? This is living for the future. And so people with faith or spiritual beliefs or an eternal code of conduct would typically be more likely to engage in this behavior because this is the idea that you put off doing the things today that seem to produce happiness because your real future lies ahead. There's a huge focus uh, with delayed gratification on denying yourself things, right? Not doing things that pop into your head, not doing things that everybody else in your life is doing, um, but choosing, um, you know, to be very structured in the here and now um, in order to win a bigger prize, if you will, later. 
So the researchers in the candy experiments found that, you know, there were actually some kids who would choose option two, right? There was actually a few kids who would delay gratification in order to get a bigger haul later. And researchers assumed that these kids were just more mature than the other kids or somehow they were raised better in order to have such highly analytical capabilities. Um, however, there's there's just a chance that <laughs> that they got them on a good day, right? There's a chance that you know maybe they had eaten recently enough or that maybe the candy that w- they were offered really wasn't their favorite candy anyways. Whatever the case, uh, the important thing to pull from all of this is that we can't really distinguish between immediate and delayed gratification solely based on whether a person is spiritual or mature or in some way better than another person. Right. I mean, there may be some strong correlations, but at the end of the day, spiritual and non-spiritual people alike struggle through life, engaging in both of them at different times. So here's a perfect example. And this might show, you know, a little bit how delayed gratification is not 100 percent for spiritual people. So there are many people who deny themselves or delay gratification by not eating foods that most people consider good foods or healthy foods. Instead, these people choose to eat tree bark, drink cleansing tea, uh, eat vegetables that don't look fit for human consumption. Uh, I'm describing kale, by the way, if you didn't clue into that. Uh, At any rate, uh, all of these, you know, delayed gratifications um, are put in place so that someday they can look like Zeus or Aphrodite. Uh, In this illustration, it doesn't really matter if you're spiritual or not. There isn't a spiritual component. There may be, but there doesn't have to be. Really, it's just a desire to look amazing and to be gods and goddesses here in, in our present day. So if this is true, and controversy theory suggests that it is, then this is also true. What we are really, what we are really looking for is a healthy mix of immediate and delayed gratification. A balance, if you will, that allows us to get the most out of life while at the same time doing things for the right reasons and having our future always in view. The stereotypical conversation we had above is really based on behaviors that are dangerous, harmful, selfish, or generally bad. In these scenarios, it makes a little more sense, right? People with no spiritual code of ethics are probably more likely to engage in immediate gratification in these areas. And people with a spiritual code of ethics um, in place would probably be more likely to delay gratification in, in those harmful areas. However, not all of the choices we make are dangerous or harmful or selfish or generally bad, right? Uh, We must make decisions on things that are good as well. We have good things, we have bad things, and we have things that really aren't one or the other. And this is why controversy theory suggests that we need a healthy balance between the two. So delayed gratification, for sure, there are many things in this world that we should deny ourselves, things that can distract us, harm us, harm others, and generally keep us from our goals. However, immediate gratification, for sure as well, there are many things that bring us happiness and joy here in the moment, things that feed us mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, things that are good, things that don't have a negative impact on our future. The important element... um, in really determining this for yourself is what we call critical thinking. So when I was back in my uh, master's program in social work, I took a class called critical thought and theory. And before I started the class, I was like, 
this is a little dumb, right? I mean, duh, we all think critically. We all have to make decisions. How on earth is this going to be an entire class this semester? And then I took the class and I found out a lot goes into thinking critically. And there's a chance that some people never figure this out. Now, there is a level of critical thinking that we all do subconsciously, but the class made it clear it goes a lot deeper than that. For example, here are some critical thinking skills you can learn and strengthen over time. You have analysis, interpretation, inference, explanation, self-regulation, open-mindedness, and problem-solving. Uh, so where are you at on all of those? Uh, or have you ever even thought about those things? Of course not. We're typically, we typically don't think about our thinking. But what if we did? In fact, that is exactly what it takes in order to navigate the nuances between immediate and delayed gratification. And to transcend human, if you will. Uh, it requires critical thinking, or at least the ability to think about your thinking. To step out of our daily flow and decide ahead of time what the right path should be. To make proactive decisions on the places we will go, the people we will see, and the things that we will do. And conversely, the places we won't go, the people we won't see, and the things that we won't do. This is the key to the gratification game. This is the key to transcending human. Number two, will it really end? Well, yes, uh, but that might not be the question people are actually wrestling with. The real question might be, will it really end in my lifetime? And unfortunately, there's no answer to that question. I mean, it would be nice to know, right? Uh, it's one thing to experience the human condition, and struggle through life knowing it will always be this way. And it would be a whole different thing if we experienced the human condition and struggled through life knowing that at some point in our lifetime, the world would end. Think of the suspense and excitement that would bring. Think of the ways that that would impact our thinking and our behaving. Think of the strength that we would have to face another day knowing that the end is just around the corner. Or would it really change anything at all? The Bible tells stories of people that were so engrossed in their daily lives that they completely missed the fact that the world was ending right in front of them. So a good example of this is the, um, the story of the flood. It talks about people being so engaged in what the world had to offer that they missed an obvious call to safety and were lost when the flood came. Uh, another scenario in the... Uh, in the world of Egypt, um, the Egyptian leaders and their people were so caught up in their lifestyles that 10 horrible plagues came and, and that wasn't even enough to get their attention. So maybe knowing when the end will come isn't really the best thing in the first place. Um, but that doesn't mean it won't happen, right? The controversy will end. The world will come to an end. Maybe not in our lifetimes, but it is going to happen. But don't be alarmed. Don't get scared. It's good news. It's good news even if it happens a thousand years from now. Why? Well, we will get to that. But first, here are two very good indicators that the world won't be around forever. First of all, the Earth is telling us. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist and you don't have to live very long um, on the Earth to see the downward spiral that it's on. I mean, the younger you are, the more hopeful you are. Right? You see bad things happen and you tend to believe that we'll come out of it. Right, There's a sense of positivity and optimism um, that you have that we don't have. We meaning older, more mature people who have seen more. Um, I think the older you get, the more you tend to be 
a realist or potentially pessimistic about your future. Possibly because we used to be optimistic, but then we saw things happen. Uh, things would turn, take a turn for the better, and then you know something else would crop up and tear that down again. So we see this, uh, this change in our world. We see it illustrated in so many ways, but here's just a few. So first of all is the physical earth. Over time, you know, we've seen an escalation in the frequency of natural disasters. We've seen um, hurricane seasons start earlier, last longer, um, bring a slew of stronger storms. Um, earthquakes appear to be becoming more and more frequent. Fires and flooding seem to be an annual thing these days. Uh, the earth seems to be groaning under an invisible weight. Um, it it appears that we have so polluted the earth that, you know, there are some regions of it that will never recover. Entire species of animals have come and gone because of our horrible behavior. Uh, it's as if the earth has reached the golden years of its life, and it's starting to experience all the the medical problems associated with old age. Next, you have diseases and viral outbreaks. So, you know, for most of our lifetime, this seemed like a fairly stable thing, right? We've always had cancer. We've always had strokes, heart disease, um, dementia, Alzheimer's. You know, these are all things that we we just understand as part of the human condition. You know, and then the, you have the random thing that comes through uh, every once in a while. So we've seen things like SARS, the Zika virus, bird flu, uh, things like that. Uh, you know, they would they would come through and they would kind of scare us a little bit and then they would go away. So the only thing that really uh, came on strong and seems to still be with us today is is the HIV AIDS virus. That is until COVID-19 hit. And now we're in a whole new world, right? This is a global event. It has killed thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, we don't have a cure. We don't know how long it will last. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not only influencing us from a medical standpoint, but the impact that it's had on our financial structure and, and people's emotions as well. It's just crazy. Uh, obviously, the world has seen outbreaks like this in the past, but uh, there's just something unique about there, something different about this, it, it feels like. With all of our knowledge, all of our advancements in technology, uh, it's just so humbling to see that something like this can come along and cause the level of confusion and chaos that it has. Next up, we have political, social, and societal signs. And so, you know, this is, this is interesting. It's just, there's a strange dichotomy uh, happening in the world today. And what are these two opposing forces I'm referring to? Well, peace and unity. So on the one hand, you know, with every passing year, we seem to be moving toward peace right? The world is getting a lot smaller with the introduction of cheap and quick flights, intercontinental flights, uh, with the internet uh, allowing us to connect to anyone at any time. Uh, you know, so what's happening is the more of the world we see and the more people that we are able to interface with and the more people get shifted around from country to country, the more comfortable we're becoming with the world around us. And we feel like we start to understand it more. And in order to understand it more, there has to be peace, right? We have to live peaceably in order for us to travel and explore the world and be in other countries of the world. But on the other hand, this peace is kind of superficial. In fact, there's very little unity. 
which means that even though we're able to interact with multiple cultures on a regular basis, there is still a, a barrier there, a wall, if you will, that keeps us from truly understanding each other and allowing sympathy and empathy to grow into those relationships. And while this is happening on the global stage, or the global stage, there is no more obvious an example than in the country right here at home in our country. Uh, political division, racial division, economic division, um, you know, there's just so many areas where there is no unity. And it's kind of this fakey, fakey, like, peace that we try to put out there that exists when really there's this lack of unity under the surface. And it's crazy. We've had so many years to figure this out, to make changes, to grow and mature as a nation. And yet here we are with many of the same challenges visible on a daily basis. So this year, obviously, it came to a head again with the death of George Floyd. You know, not that he was the only one, but his death came at a very tumultuous time in the middle of a pandemic when when people were already primed with anger, fear, anxiety about their future. Um, And as we all saw, this set off another movement, another attempt to call out the, uh, the racial injustice and the um, the social racism, the um, societal racism that exists in this country. Um, and, and in essence, an attempt to call out the police for police brutality and, you know, just the ways that things uh, have gone on for too long. And during this time, you know, other people groups in the shadows reached out as well, asking for people to see them, hear them, and care about the treatment that they receive and suffer on a daily basis. And in our country right now, I don't know that I would say we have peace or unity, um, but it's it's something that we've done to ourselves for sure. So those are all ways that the earth or the world is telling us that things are coming to an end. Um, but the Bible, obviously, you know, is a is a very good place to go if you're looking for information on the future. So the Bible has told us as well. Um, And it really doesn't leave a lot of room for ambiguity. So obviously the Bible is a book that Christians view as their user manual, if you will, for navigating the human condition. Uh, Because of this, people from other backgrounds, other religions, uh, people who don't have a specific set of spiritual values or whatever, um, will have to kind of suspend their disbelief for this portion of the show um, because the Bible is obviously a very Christian thing. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to start very high level and discuss the fact that there is, within the Bible, there is this overarching storyline that runs from page one to the very end. And I would like to suggest that this overarching storyline is the controversy, the controversy that we've talked about in this series for a good few weeks now. And that this controversy storyline is presented in the typical three-act structure Um, I put a link in the notes to The Story Grid by Sean Coyne. It's an interesting read for those of you who write or write stories or write stories for movies, whatever, Um, because some of the things we talk about here are going to be from The Story Grid. So this three-act structure, uh, according to Story Grid, includes an inciting incident, a middle build, and an ending payoff. So I thought we would just walk through those three things in, in terms of the way the Bible is laid out. So the inciting incident, uh, God creates a brand new world and populates it with humans. His trusted sidekick, Lucifer, revolts and has to be banished to this new world. 
Lucifer, now Satan, gets the humans to turn against God. Inciting incident. Next, we have middle build. Humans are now infected with a sin virus. This sin virus is passed down from generation to generation. Um, a story is also passed down from generation to generation. A story about a loving God who wants his people back. Uh, God sends Jesus to live a perfect life and die to create an antidote to the sin virus. Jesus dies, but is then resurrected and returns to heaven where he remains today, preparing a place for those who choose to accept the antidote. And then finally, the ending payoff. So from Jesus' return to heaven until the end of time, humans do the work of taking this message about the antidote to the whole world. Uh, at some point in the future, God has determined that the message has been offered long enough, and he returns to bring us home. There's a final battle between God and Satan, and Satan loses. God establishes a brand new world, free from the sin virus, for those who choose to accept the antidote. Now, that was a very quick and dirty overview of the Bible, and if Sean Coyne saw this, he would probably laugh and explain how terrible a job I had done, but, but that's fine. I think I made my point. Uh, that there is an overarching story that runs through the Bible, a controversy that begins, the impact it has over the world for a really long time, and then that eventually it comes to an end. When you look through the Bible, there are many references to the end of time, right? And while there are a number of ways that people interpret prophecy in the Bible, uh, let's just focus on the fact that it is coming regardless of what you believe about it. So here are just two examples. Uh, from Second Peter 3, we read, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. And then in Matthew 24, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. So just, you know, two out of a multitude of verses that talk about the fact that the end is coming, it will happen. Um, it's not something that we need to think about or decide, is it or is it not going to happen? And then finally, number three is our response. So if you're a Christian, it's pretty cut and dry, right? There isn't a lot left up to our imagination. The Bible describes that there will be an end to all things, and we aren't going to change that outcome. Unlike the story of Nineveh in the Bible, the end of time is not contingent on us cleaning ourselves up and making better decisions. Uh, for those of you who have read the story of Nineveh before, or what we would kind of refer to as Jonah's story, um, you know, God told Jonah to go and tell the king of Nineveh that his city would be destroyed. Then, in an empathic turn of events, God took mercy on the city after the king and his people turned from their wicked ways and determined to worship God beautiful story of redemption and grace. However, the end of time will not follow that storyline. People have had ample time by that point to make decisions, just like the king of Nineveh did, and choose to accept the antidote to the sin virus. God is working on each person's heart individually every day, asking that we choose him as the end approaches. And his plan is not to save the city or save the world we live in. He his plan involves saving each of us individually. You can't really read the Bible and believe that life will just go on forever uh, the way it is. It doesn't really give you that as an option. So knowing this, um, you know, how do people respond? 
Well, controversy theory suggests that there are probably three pretty clear-cut ways that people live in light of this. And I'll just tell them to you now. So there's fear, indifference, and joy. And we'll walk through each of these just to kind of talk through what they mean. So starting with fear, uh, some people read the Bible's account of the end of time and they are immediately afraid, right? They want nothing to do with it. They, they may say they are fine with Christianity, but they really just don't want to understand or they don't need to talk about the stuff about the end of time. And this fear often arises from one of two places. First, a fear that, you know, we haven't really committed our lives to God or that we're really not, we really aren't 100% sure that we are saved. That, that obviously provides a fear for the future. And then the next one is the fear that the world will, will end the life that we have come to like, right? You know, when it all comes down to it, we're really happy with the life we're living right now. And, you know, we're not really sure that we want the world to end. Now, that obviously has a, a huge ramification when it comes to the life that you're living. Um, and if you're, you know, experiencing pain or suffering, or if, or if you, for some reason, are in a really amazing season of your life and, and everything seems to be going your way. Um, but at any rate, you know, people, people who have things a little too good here on earth um, can, can struggle with that. Where, like, they don't want the world to end because they're really having a good time and they're really enjoying um, the way things are going. Next is indifference. And so, you know, most of the people in this category are here because they don't really believe in things like the controversy or God or Satan or the Bible or things like that. And for them, you know, the world ending would be more of an accidental thing, right? Like a comet hitting the earth or pollution getting so bad that global warming melted the polar ice caps or, or maybe it's something, you know, that we do that incites World War III. And because of this, you know, very little attention is paid to it, right? Because it's it's simply something that could happen, but there's no need to focus on it. However, there are also Christians who whose go-to reaction is indifference. And maybe it's because they don't really understand it, or maybe because it's they just don't really want to think about it. But whatever the case, you know, there are Christians who go through life fully committed to God, and they just want or they don't want to talk about and they don't need to know how everything will end. And then finally, joy. You know, there are those who actually have a sense of joy when they think about the controversy ending. Now, not joy over the event itself. I mean, the Bible, what the Bible describes happening at the end of time is somewhat traumatic uh, with natural disasters, anger, hatred, fighting, um, death, things like that. So, you know, I'd be a little worried if, if I thought somebody was looking forward to those specific elements. However, there is a level of joy and excitement that comes just knowing why all of that stuff has to happen. And, and we see a, an illustration of that just in the world around us. So, you know, when a woman is pregnant, she's looking forward to the delivery, right? She's joyful about it, even though she knows that there's going to be this short little period of time where it's painful and it's hard and it's going to be a lot of pushing and a lot of grunting and groaning and gritting your teeth and it's not going to be fun but she knows that this beautiful life will start because of it and similarly you know the pain and the suffering that happens at the end of time is nothing more than that right it's a it's a difficult time that will bring about the change that the world needs the battle will be over the human condition will no longer be impacting us like gravity there's no more human nature, no more human suffering, no more human disturbance, because Satan and, and the sin virus will be no more. It'll be a new day, 
a new life. So let's land the plane. This week, I want you to ask yourself the following questions. What type of a person are you? Are you the immediate gratification type or the delayed gratification type? Um, And then regardless of which type you are, um, are you willing to work on ways to implement both in your life at a, at a very healthy level? Next, do you think you can find a new way to look at the end of time? Or what is your take on the end of time? Have you ever thought about it? Um, if you do, how might it impact your life? How might it impact your future? And finally, uh, if you have thought about the end of time, how does it impact you? Do you live in fear? Are you indifferent? Or have you found a sense of joy knowing that that brings a whole new uh, era, if you will, for us and for the world? Next week, um, we're going to jump into eternal outcomes and talk about how the chips fall at the end of time. We'll move into the 14th basic assumption, which is two outcomes, four categories, and many lifestyles. So thank you so much for hanging in there with us. Uh, Like we talked about, this has been so much fun, and I hope you found it a useful resource in understanding the human condition from the perspective of the controversy between God and Satan. We're almost there, friends. The Controversy Theory series wraps up here in a few weeks. I think we may have three or four episodes left. Um, If you're enjoying the content, like I said earlier, you know, tell a friend about it. They can either jump in uh, to Transcend Human from the beginning, or they can uh, just jump into the beginning of this series if they're interested. And as always, you know, it always helps if you share Transcend Human on social media or rate us on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps to get the news out there, get the word out there, and um, bring people to us. So thanks again. Have a great week. And as always, keep Transcending Human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, There's nothing better than word of mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.